Let's look in the book of Esther. I'm just bringing you up to where we're at in this account. I'm up to chapter six. If you'd turn to chapter six with me, I'll be reflecting back on chapter five because you really can't get the whole meaning of it if we don't look back just a little bit. But in, in Esther chapter six, verse one, on that night could not the king sleep and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles and they were read before the king. So after that he reads this account to him, uh, some wonderful things take place and we see that it is a turning point in the whole story when you get to verse 12. And Mordecai came to the king's gate, again to the king's gate. But Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. I, I'm just amazed at how much that the Lord references the king's gate in this passage. I preached one of the first sermons on this sitting in the king's gate, but I didn't take the time at that time to really elaborate about why Mordecai or Mordecai, both pronunciations are acceptable, but why Mordecai leans so much on being at the king's gate. I think really it's, it's an Old Testament picture of faithfulness that we have to church. There's something about being faithful to the church. Now I realize things happen that we get sick, that we can't always be there, but your heart is there, your desire is there. And he was faithful to be there at the king's gate. I believe that this place is a gateway to heaven. Now, now God doesn't love this church any more than any other local church. We're part of the church, his church, but there's something about being faithful to the church that God honors a faithful person. And when we're faithful to the church, see, you're not gonna be faithful to the church if you're not faithful to the Lord because it's his church. So really it's a, it's a way of saying through all things, I wanna be faithful to God. And one of the ways that I show my faithfulness is by being in his house. And that's right at the doorstep of the king's house, the king's gate. 11 times in the book of Esther, we read about the king's gate. Why was Mordecai sitting in the king's gate? Why was he so faithful to the king's gate? Well, it's what took place at the king's gate. You know, there was some things that happened at the king's gate that didn't happen anywhere else. Now, let me back up over that because apparently you're not awake yet. There's some things that happened at the king's gate that happened nowhere else. There's some things that happen at church that doesn't happen anywhere else. And here he is now at this unusual place. Well, what happened there? Well, one thing, the king's gate, the reason I think he was faithful to it was it was a place of wisdom. That is the place where the elders sat. So when they needed direction, they would come to the king's gate to find wisdom. Wisdom out of the older ones that were there that understood the law of God. And not only did the elders represent knowledge of the law of God, but also those elders represented wisdom in the fact they had experience. So when you go through any experience in life, the first place you ought to turn is to the church. 
because more than likely there's somebody in here that has been through the same thing you're going through. And nobody can teach you or tell you any better than someone that has been through it, experienced it, lived through it, and still gives God glory for it in the end. So you may have an experience in your life where you feel like no one else understands what a great place to come, to come to church and find these people with all types of experiences. That's why I don't care what your excuse is today, why you shouldn't be saved and a part of the family of God. The truth of the matter is anything you're facing, somebody else in here has already been through it and proved that the devil is a liar and proved that God is good regardless of the things we go through and every experience that you have in life. You can find help from God's people if you're in the king's gate. It was also a place of judgment and justice. Now let's, let's get this right. There's no justice in life. There's no justice in the world. If you had an issue though that you needed to get settled, if there was a problem, maybe a problem with a neighbor, maybe there was some type of a civil dispute, and maybe there was a contract that you wanted everyone to know that you're, you're responsible for a certain covenant that's been, been developed in your life and you're gonna follow it through. What you'd do, you'd come to the king's gate and that would make it public. And it was a place where they would assure that justice would be served. Now, let's get this right. There's no justice out in the world, but I don't care what you're facing today. If you'll come and bring it to God at these altars, you'll find that God is always just. When nobody else is just, God is always just. And here we are at the King's Gate saying, yes, we live in a world that's not fair. We live a life that's not fair, but God always makes the wrongs right and we can find the justice that we long for right here in the house of God. Did you know according to Esther chapter four and verse two, there's a piece of Jewish history that you'll not find anywhere else in your, in your Bible. We find out a law that existed at the king's gate in Esther 4 two. There was no sackcloth allowed in the king's gate. Sackcloth. Well, what is sackcloth? You, many of you have read your Bible all of your life and you've heard sermons preached and we talk about how that they would come to a place of sorrow and repentance and they would clothe themselves with sackcloth, often put ashes on their body. But what is sackcloth? Well, it was a cloth generally made out of goat's skin the fur of a goat, when they really wanted to agonize before the Lord, in times of mourning, they would turn the sackcloth where the rough part was against their skin, saying that they are afflicted, that they need help. And it was a place of sorrow and sadness. But here in the king's gate, there was no room for sadness. Now, I don't know what you've got to complain about, moan about, groan about, gripe about, but there's no room for it in the house of God. 
This is not a place of sorrow. This is not a place where we want to hear how bad, how bad things are and how tough that life is. I tell you, if the pandemic did nothing else, thank God, it started having people go back to church instead of coming to church with what they called a testimony and all it was was a complaint list about everything that's wrong in their life. The truth of the matter is, I don't have one thing to complain about today. God's been good to me. I think I don't care what you're going through today. There's nothing in your life that you have the right to complain about because God still loves you and God's given you life and God's given you the opportunity to be in his house this morning and we ought to come to this place and say, I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving, not with sorrow, not with heartache. Oh no, if you want to turn your sorrow into joy, if you want to turn your mourning into rejoicing, you're at the right place today because God can take all of the sorrow and turn it around and give you joy, abundant joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. The King's Gate was a place of wisdom, a place of experience, a place of justice. The King's Gate was a place of no sackcloth, a place of rejoicing. You are happy, aren't you? I mean, we're not happy about the things we go through, but we're happy God's gonna take care of all of it. The King's Gate was a place of safety. You remember God appointed cities of refuge? And under the law, the law was the law. If a person killed another individual, now see, this is where things get technical. The law was the law. It made no difference whether the act of taking another person's life was intentional or accidental. We use a word in modern time called manslaughter, which now that's gone to a lot of extremities as well. But basically it is the fact that you have taken another person's life, but always it's not an indicator that it was intentional. You could be driving your car, God forbid, you could be driving your car today and you're going home and you don't, you don't mean to, but you look down, you tune your radio, you're setting your heat, and you get absorbed in it, and before you know it, you drift left of center, you hit another car and take somebody's life. You didn't intend to do that. You didn't mean to do that. The last thing that you'd ever wanna do is take another human being's life, even if it's accidentally. Under the law, here's the curse of the law. Under the law, it treated you the same as somebody that would gun an individual down in the middle of the street intentionally. Murder. The law treated it both the same. But God said, there is a provision that I've made. I've established cities of refuge that are nearby. And what you do is you get to the gate of the cities of refuge. And when you get to the gate, that's where the elders that just out, that, that's just, that meet out the justice and the judgment, you tell them what happened and present your case. And here is the thing, if it was accidental, 
you could stay inside that gate. And as long as you didn't go outside the gate, you were safe. Mordecai is now under the direct orders soon to be of death. He's going to die. Why is he going to die? Because of his faithfulness. The enemy has decided to kill him because he could not stand to see Mordecai sitting in that gate and Mordecai refusing to bow down to him and worship him. So here's the problem. Mordecai is safe as long as he's inside the gate. Mordecai is safe as long as he's inside the gate. There is a safety that comes from being at a certain place spiritually in your life. And here was the thing. It was so severe that Haman knew that he could not kill Mordecai by himself. So he had to devise a plan to try to get to Mordecai. And the only plan that would work is he made up this, this divisive plan to make sure that all the Jews are killed. In other words, he was going to kill all the Jews in order to get to one man. Now let's get this right. If we are operating the way God intended the New Testament church to operate, if the devil comes after one of ours to kill them, he's gonna have to kill all of us. In other words, to get to you, he's got to go through us. Would you help me preach this morning? God doesn't mean for you to go through your burdens alone. God gave you a church family and the church family should rally around. Ted talking about the cards he got and the people with a standing over. You know what that is? That's people that when they heard Ted Bussey had a stroke, they went to the throne room and they surrounded him and said to the enemy to get to him, you've got to go through us. If we operate the way God intended, there's no force there's no power that can overcome the church of the living God and believers that are joined together. Safety. The devil should have to take all of us on. I didn't mean to take this long introducing it. You remember the account? I said on that night, Chapter six and verse one, what night? The same night that something happened, that same night that caused the king not to be able to sleep. And this is what happened. You go back to chapter five and when you get to chapter five, Haman has looked at all that he has, all the people he's conquered, but it availed him nothing. He said, because I see Mordecai, the Jew sitting at the king's gate. The devil hates looking at you sitting there where you're at today. He hates that. He hates that you're not afraid of him. He hates that he can't terrorize you. He goes home and he, he whines to his wife, cries to his friends, some kind of a king, isn't it? some kind of a man with power and authority, isn't it? He's whining around because one person won't do what he wants. 
You better be careful in life. You'll let one person spoil it all for you. I've seen godly pastors leave churches because one person didn't like them. I've seen Christians leave churches because they thought one person didn't like them. Well, I got news for you. If half of you don't like me, Jesus is pretty fond of me. And I don't mean you know evil, but I'm not giving up on him because you don't like me. Someone here a while back contacted me and said, you know, I've been coming to your church and I don't like your preaching. Well, what are you doing here? I haven't changed my preaching here since 1983. I've been preaching in this pulpit. I haven't changed one bit. I still preach the same Bible. I still preach the same way. Yes, I know a lot of things have changed, but I haven't changed. And I'm not gonna apologize for being faithful to God's word. Therese said, this is what you ought to do. His wife and friends, build a gallows. Make it 50 cubits high, 75 feet high. This is what I like. They said, now, you go speak to the king about Mordecai that he can be hanged on that gallow. So they said, this is what you do. Haman, tomorrow morning, first thing, you build the gallows tonight. First thing in the morning, you go see the king. And you tell the king, about how Mordecai needs to hang in those gallows. The devil wants to hang you, me, and everybody else. But that night, the king couldn't sleep. So the king calls to the scribe and says, get the book of, the, of Chronicles. What that is, is it is a chronicle listing of the events that occur in the history of a king. And he starts reading and he said, there were two of the king's devoted friends that devised a plot to kill the king. But there was a man named Mordecai that sits in the gate. And Mordecai overheard them. And he exposed their plan. And the king's life was saved from those two that sought to kill him because of Mordecai. And the king said, wait a minute. What have we done to honor such a faithful man? And the scribe said, there hath been nothing done to him. Nothing done for him. King says, who's in the court? By this time, Haman has just arrived in the court. He's coming to ask the king to kill the man that the king is getting ready to honor. Talk about bad timing. I wonder sometimes if a devil don't show up to church and by the time you all are already at the place where you're sitting in heavenly places, if the devil don't say, boy, I timed that one wrong. If I'd have just got there a week earlier, a day earlier, everything would have been different. But now it's too late. They're already experiencing the presence of God. It's too late. They're in the king's hands. So he said, Haman, come in. He invites Haman in. He said, Haman, what would you do to a man or for a man that had spared your life from two people that you thought were your friends, but they were really your enemies and sought to kill you? What would you do for such a man? Haman, full of his pride. That's what always gets you, pride. 
full of his pride, thought he was talking about him. And he said, oh, king, this is what I would do. I would take your kingly apparel and I would put that apparel on that man and I would take your best horse and I would set that man on the king's horse and he said, I would take the royal crown and I would put it on his head and I would appoint one of my, my best men to take that horse and go through the streets and cry aloud, this is what is done to a man that the king desires to honor. And he said, good. He said, here's my apparel, here's my crown, go get my horse, Haman, go out to the gate, there's a man named Mordecai there. You put my garment on him, I'm about to preach. You put my crown on his head. You set him on my horse and you take him through the streets and you cry aloud. This is what the king delighted to do to honor a man that's been faithful, that sits in the king's gate. I've got news for you. It may look like the devil's winning, but God says one of these days I'm gonna make the devil put my robe on you, set my crown on your head, let you ride on the horse, go through the street of the city and said, this is what the king does for a man that he delights in. See, it's not over. As soon as he does it, he says, Mordecai, where do you want me to take you to? Take me back to the king's gate. You know, there are gonna be a lot of people have to eat their words about God's people one day. They really are. I know what they say. You know what they say. But the Lord says, don't be discouraged by all that. They're gonna see things the way it really is when they see you marching through the streets, exalted by the king, blessed by the king, dressed by the king, crowned by the king. If you're not careful, you'll look at your present situation and you'll forget there's a turning point coming. Mordecai winds up Right back at the king's gate, Haman drops his head in shame and fear and wants to go into hiding. Why? Because the end is coming. There will be a turning point. Everyone won't be happy. Everyone won't be thrilled when God shows honor to you and favor to you. But God says, there's a payday. Don't forget, you just be faithful. The payday's not here now, but it's coming. It's not gonna be like it is right now forever. Just stay faithful. Stay in the king's gate and God will honor you. They'll come, they'll get a song. And as we stand and as we sing together, if you're here this morning in this service, you're fighting battles that are too big for you. 
And you need to say, you know what's, what's dawned on me today? You need to say, preacher, it just dawned on me. All I gotta do is be faithful and let God take care of the rest. And he does. He'll always take care of it. But we have to be at the place he wants us to be. They knew exactly where to find Mordecai at the king's gate. Where are you at today? What are you relying on? What are you going to do when troubles come? God says, I'll take care of all of it. You just need to pray today. God, help me remain faithful.